0: Hello, this is Tommy Franks. Welcome to the Four Star Leadership Podcast, a product of the General Tommy Franks Leadership Institute and Museum. We're here to get a view into the lives of the legacy makers, the movers, and the shakers of today to offer insights from the full spectrum of the leadership community. We'll talk to former Four Star students and explore their leadership development path. We'll work to find out what they are about today and learn from the opportunities they've made for themselves in this world. It's my distinct pleasure to welcome you to this podcast. Remember, leaders are not born, they're developed.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Core Principles of Leadership with General Tommy Franks. I am your host, Delise Travis, and we are on episode number seven with our guest, Immaculée Ilibagisa. We'll be talking about faith, hope, and forgiveness, experiences from a Rwandan genocide survivor. But before we get into our program, we'll have a word from our major sponsor, REI Oklahoma.
2: REI Oklahoma is proud to be a part of the General Tommy Franks Leadership Institute in the production and distribution of these podcasts designed to inspire leaders and difference makers. At REI Oklahoma, we have been working with small business leaders, entrepreneurs, and people who are driven to succeed for years. Highly motivated people working to own their own businesses, live in their own homes, and make the world a better place. Since its beginning, REI Oklahoma has continued to identify hurdles and deliver holistic solutions to create job growth and help neighborhoods thrive in both rural and urban communities. REI Oklahoma looks forward to visiting with you about helping your business and community grow. Visit reiok.org or call 800-658-2823 to start the conversation.
1: And now we join our guest, Immaculee Ilibagiza. Immaculee is a Rwandan American author of seven books and a motivational speaker. Her first book, Left to Tell, Discovering God Amidst the Rwandan Holocaust, is an autobiographical work detailing how she survived during the Rwandan genocide in 1994. Left to Tell quickly became a New York Times bestseller. To date, it has been translated into 17 languages and has sold over 2 million copies. Immaculée's story has also been made into a documentary. She has appeared on numerous televised programs and featured in many domestic and international publications. Left to Tell has received a Christopher Award affirming the highest values of human spirit and has been adopted into the curriculum of dozens of high schools and universities, including Villanueva University, which selected it for their one-book program, making Left to Tell mandatory reading for its 6,000 students. Immaculee, welcome, and thank you so much for sharing your story with us today.
0: Thank you.
3: Immaculee, you were born in 1972 in Rwanda. Can you tell us about your area that you were born and your family and, and share your story with us? It's so inspiring. Oh, thank
0: you. Yeah, I was born in Rwanda. In um, Rwanda is a small country in Africa, right in the middle of Africa. So um, I grew up in a family of four. I was one daughter among three boys, and my mom and dad, uh, till really separated by death in 1994.
3: And can you share your experience? You were away at school,
0: and your father called you to come home for Easter? Yes. So my story is, well, first, it was a terrible experience. You know, I, I'm going to share with you But it was an experience that taught me so much about life. Like everything that we suffer, really, I think through suffering we can learn so much more. So it left me huge experience, great lessons. And one of them was to know that God is real. I'm not alone in this world. I'm not alone in battling the problems I face. And the easier I take them and work through, the quicker the solution can be, there. Another big lesson I learned was to learn the power of forgiveness, actually to even understand what it was, because many times, you know, before the genocide, I was a student in college, and I always thought, you forgive somebody who said something bad about you, somebody who took your pen, your book away, but not somebody who is trying to kill you or actually have killed members of your family until I experienced bitterness, Until I experienced hate because I became that person who hated what they were doing to us. And I remember sweating out of anger. Just out of my poisonous thoughts, my body would feel and would act. I literally remember feeling like I forgot how to smile. And I remember asking God, begging God, I wish I can be innocent again. I wish I can just no good in people because that made me smile, dream about the good of this world and now what I can see is the evil of people. I even forgot the person who was protecting me, like the good that was around me because the evil one has a way, you know, the problems has a way to tend to overwhelm you and you become almost sick with that, you know, sometimes we hate people and then we end up hating their whole family, which is so unfair. We hate one person, we hate everyone who look like them or who dress like them, who speak like them. We don't like somebody, they pass by and all of a sudden you have big changes just because you don't like them. So that was such a overwhelming hate I felt when they were looking for us, when they were killing us. And then God answered my prayer. He really taught me how to forgive. And I experienced such a peace.
3: Let's set the stage for our listeners. So you were in Rwanda, and the population there was approximately 7 million in 1994. Mm -hmm. 85% are Hutu, and about 14% were Tutsi. And you are Tutsi. And um, there was a rift between the two tribes. That was encouraged through some political militia. And the president's plane was shot down. Is that correct? Do you want to tell us about that and what
0: happened? Yes. So you're right. You know, actually, they always said before that Tutsis were 15% and the Hutus were 85 To find out later, they used to actually minimize our number so that they would justify why there's more Hutus in jobs. Why they? yeah, it was something done by the government already was discriminating Tutsis. So that's how, so, because when you look at like in my village, there was like 60,000 people who died. So the whole village is empty. I'm like, how is it that we, we were? So now things are, have changed. But anyway, coming back to the story on the, so, this is, I was home for Easter holiday. Yes. And I will never forget one morning, my brother came to my room. He, about six in the morning, he never came that early in my room. And he had on a jacket, he, that he has a belt, and he had a stick in his hand. The first thing that came to my mind when he opened the door and I looked at him, I'm like, what happened when I was sleeping? Is my mom, my dad, anyone is sick? Has somebody died? What, what is going on? My heart was beating. And that, he told me, You are still sleeping. You don't know what happened. I'm like, speak quickly. What happened? And this was the morning of the 7th of April. And he told me the president of the country was killed last night. I remember telling him, oh, my God, they are going to kill us. And he was Hutu. He was Hutu. And the Hutu blamed the Tutsis. They blamed the Tutsis. And now what we believe actually was the story, because we knew they were preparing a genocide. We knew this was coming. There was a radio two years before the genocide that belonged to the government where the journalists, they used to act like they were drunk. They would say things like, one day we are going to kill Tutsis. One day we are going to to make them pass through the water and go away from the country. And they would say, we are going to cut the tall trees. Because they used to say, oh, anyone tall is Tutsi. So they would say things like that. So many people believe that the president would not allow them to kill everyone under his mandate, his people. And then they said, oh, let's kill him, so then we can blame him, the people, Tutsis, for killing him. So, And that's how they started. The second they killed him, 15 minutes later, they attacked the first family. They would be killing like 10 children, mom and dad. I remember after we heard the first news, two hours later, BBC Radio reported 18 families that were killed. Mom and dad have just been killed. Eight children, and grandma and grandpa, uh, five children, mom and dad, just been killed. And I remember my father who saying, because after my brother told me, we went outside, we put on the radio, so we started to hear what was going on. We captured every radio possible to hear. So the BBC was talking, France International was talking radio, National Radio, Darbar Radio, you know, was talking. Really private radio was founded by the killers. So, so your father feared for you. He feared for me. And I remember he told us, this never happened before, where they killed the whole family. And that's when we realized, and really, that is what, why genocide is a genocide, is it the attempt to kill the whole group of people. So they knew the moment the president died, they had to go family by family, well organized to eliminate everyone. So we started to see people coming home after we just heard the news. And they were saying, our neighbors, a little bit further, telling my father that they are burning their homes. They are throwing grenades around their homes. And they are putting fire around them. So they run. So everyone came to my dad to ask him what to do. You know, this is one of the things I always tell people, please be grateful for people you have in your life because you don't know how long they will be. But that was two days we had before we separated forever. People came to my home to ask for what to do because my dad was a person who cared about everyone,
3: and he was a leader.
0: He really was a leader. Now that I I know what you know, they talk about leadership. He just felt responsible, and he wasn't voted by anyone. He wasn't a leader who is getting paid, but people trusted him. I remember parents used to bring their children for my dad to punish them for them. So, and now I know he never punished anybody out of anger. Or yelled at any child. He will always sit with you and talk with you. Do you know why your parents are not happy? Do you know what you can become if you continue to be that kind of person, to do those kind, you know, have attitude like that? Mm -hmm. Or do you know you can change it, actually? You have the capacity to be contrary to that angry person who insults the parents. You can uplift them. You can help them. They're human beings like you. So uh, until my parents died... People would bring them gift. kids. My dad punished when they were little because they became like a government person. They became a teacher, a director of something. And now I'm like, wow, that was gold. Yeah. And he was the
3: administrator for the Catholic schools in your
0: district. Yes, he was. So he feared for you when this happened. He feared for me, and he asked me to go to hide to a neighbor who was from the other tribe and who was a good man. And that would have to say, not everyone from the hutu tribe was killing not even half of them it was the government that was very unified that had planned this and they they had people so they kind of used the names of we hutu we're going to kill you it was not everyone there were many good people and i remember one of the things my dad used to tell us he was always like a teacher even in the house in the village he used to tell us do not put people in boxes because one of them have done wrong to you. Always open your eyes to people how they come to you. And if they do wrong to you, then you can judge the person. But don't put in boxes because they come from that country. They're all the same. Or that religion. Or that tribe. That race. That family. He's taught us, if you do that, you will miss out many angels in your life. You don't know who God is going to send you when you need it most. We used to think that is teaching again. But when he sent me to somebody who was supposed to be our enemy, I'm like, he meant it. Actually, I remember my brother telling him, I'm "Like, Dad, you're sending her to a Hutu." Everyone was caring, worried about me as a girl. You won't be able to run if anything bad happened. We are boys. Which I'm, I'm so appreciative because it is really their love that saved me. But when he sent me to this man, my, my brother said, "Dad, he's a Hutu. If things go bad, they will kill her." And my father said, I know that man. Even if things go bad, he will not be able to kill. And that was again that light, like, you're right. My dad would have been telling us, he really means it. I know how much he loves me. So to send me there, he knew that I need to go there. But thank God, he even opened his heart to know the other man. Because sometimes we hate blind blindly, without even somebody be a danger to us. We just hate them because they belong to that group. And that was something, definitely that.
3: He was a man of great character, and so he recognized that.
0: He recognized God, yeah. And so
3: he sent you there, and where did he hide you?
0: So when he sent me there, another thing that really touched me, he handed me the beads of the rosary. I grew up in a Catholic family, and I knew faith was really important for my my father. I I think everything, and my mom, what they did to care for the neighbors was their Christian values. As people, they really put in practice. We read the Bible to practice, not to to tell God we read the Bible. He wanted to say, okay, care for your neighbors. Then we have to do it because we promise to be good Christian. So he sent me to the neighbor. And with the rosary? With the rosary. Only thing I had, I remember looking at this, I'm like, oh my God. It's like I felt the words he was telling me he didn't say. I felt as if he was telling me I won't be here anymore, but if you need anything, as I have provided before, you need to go to God. It was a, such a strong statement. I felt in my heart, but he didn't say. I took it. He never did. That's when we were separating before. He have given me rosaries before. He have given me Bibles before, but we, we need to read that, so take this. But this time was, bye, take this. So I went to the neighbor. And the neighbor, I still remember his face. He was so scared. And this is when I knew this have happened to people Tutsis before. They have killed us before in 1959, in 1973. So the neighbor who was Hutu and a very good man, he looked at me with such a fear in his face. He said, I am worried they are going to do to you what they did to you in 1959. So my parents never wanted to tell us too much about what I was done. And I against us and I'm really appreciate that because I just had a I had a good childhood. I played with friends without thinking about who are you, you know, which tribe are you. I had fun growing up. I loved people, they loved me. I saw that. So the man told me they did this to you in nineteen ninety four. Even if I knew through history, Mm -hmm. but never thought about it too much. So only
3: fifteen years before approximately a similar thing had happened. happened. Except that this time
0: became worse. But he knew. And I said, what? You know, but I saw the fear. He didn't say much. Just the fear in his face. I'm like, we have gone through this before. So So he hit you. He hit me. He put me in a small bathroom. Three by four feet. And I remember life. I, I love to remind kids, especially when I speak in school. I'm like, be grateful of what you have and count your blessing." Because again, you don't know what is tomorrow. Use what you have to the best you can. Because I remember three days before I went in that bathroom, I had a scholarship in college. I was paid to go to school. Three days before that, I had my own room in my parents' house. My brothers who protected me and loved me, my parents. We didn't have much, maybe one pair of shoes, but I didn't think I needed much or
3: more. So now you're in a three-by-four space. And if, if you look at that measurement on the floor, that's very, very, very
0: small. small, yeah. So
3: you're in a three-by-four bathroom
0: with a rosary. With a rosary. And I, the first thing that came to my mind was, I can't stay here. This is too small. <laughs> Before I realized, yeah, this is where you are now. Whatever was yesterday, no more. It's today. And that's when I'm like, oh, I wish yesterday. Then I, I had it so I can just love it. Because now this is my life. So I'm looking, I'm complaining. As I was complaining, the man came back with five more women. Now we had six people in the beginning in three by four feet. That was another moment that was like, oh, I was complaining. It was too small for me. Now we are six. So So there were seven total women. Any children? Later, we became eight.
3: Later. Yeah, he brought
0: two more people. So we were eight. And the youngest was seven years old. The older was 55, others were 12, 13, but we really had to sit on top of each other. The man told us not to make any noise, not to, not to make any noise, not to flush even the water of the bathroom until somebody else is flushing the water in the next bathroom.
3: And he didn't even tell his family that you were there. No,
0: he told us that he would tell them he lost the key of the bathroom. So nobody should know that we are there. He said one noise is enough for our life to be over. And that's when I started to appreciate the, the kindness. Yeah, we can change people's life by just a little bit of caring more. Because he could have just put us there. I know he needed to help us how to behave so that we would not be found. He needed to even not to tell his children that we will not be found. It was, yeah, warming, heartwarming. Yes,
3: so the great caring that he showed you gave you tremendous trust it, in him. And what he was doing for
0: you. Yes, he did. I saw his, try, his trying, his fear for us. Yeah, love has a way of of really making a huge difference.
3: So you were there for how long? We
0: were in that bathroom for three months. 91 days. 91 days. I thought it was going to be three days. That's all he told us, actually. He said, maybe this will be three, four days. And we came one month, second month, and so month. he
3: fed you by bringing you scraps from the table because the family didn't know you were there. Yes, and you had to just eat what he brought.
0: I had to eat. I remember in my family, I was one who was very skinny, um, and I could, I didn't like to eat. Well, I cared so much about how I was eating. Don't mix the food, you know. No, I don't eat that. I just didn't like eating, but I was very much keen of to see how food looked like. And now all of a sudden, he was bringing food. The children threw in the garbage and he would pick a plate from the garbage because they don't know. He didn't want to feed us that way, that way, that what he could afford. And I had to close my eyes and nose and be able to eat because I just needed to survive. It was another time I missed my mom. I needed to apologize to her for giving her time about eating. I'm like, if only I knew I would have just be grateful for my mother for trying to feed me the best she can. Now I'm eating garbage food, and I have to eat it.
3: That's all you had. And so how did you spend
0: your days? So it, my, our days is funny. We were sitting in the same place, never moved for three months. But I felt like inside my heart I was moving. I was growing. I was becoming older. I was becoming a completely new person. So it was especially the emotions that changed, and my body was changing. I was decaying. I went in the bathroom, 115 pounds. I came out 65 pounds. So everything was changing. I was born. But inside was the most amazing thing. I remember thinking, wow, the world inside is much bigger than the world outside. So first, emotionally, which was really what we had, I remember growing from the first week, I was angry. I had emotions I couldn't. I didn't even think you can change your emotions, really. I, don't, I didn't think you were responsible. And we are responsible. We can do something about it, actually, what is going on inside us. So I was impatient, and I thought i was going to die out of being impatient. I cannot take another day. That was one. And then I would move from, from that to anger. If I come out, I'm going to be a soldier not to defend the country, which that's what the soldiers do, but to revenge my my family and my tribe. And from there, I will go to fear. And every bad emotion, I realize it hurts differently. Like fear would, oh my God, they went to find us. They would cut me in pieces. And my intestines would be burning and shaking. And I want to go to the bathroom. And then anger, I I was a monster. I would be sweating out of anger. My heart would be racing faster, my blood running faster out of anger. I had a headache, every pain in my body. Then I'm like, how do you get rid of this? But that's what you do when you're angry. So I, I'm doomed for this. And I thought that it was getting more. So the first week, it was very different emotions. And then it changed with different news. So the man who was hiding us, he brought us food. And I remember asking him to please put the radio outside of the bathroom so we can hear what's going on. I just wanted information. I mean, we, we have to be informed. I really realized what, how important it was. At least to know what to pray for, you know, what to do. So he put three radios, different channels outside, and I couldn't believe what was going on. The leaders of the country, who used to, be, to tell us to be good to one another, they were out saying, get out and kill every tooth you can find. I remember one government minister, actually his, his daughter was my girlfriend, my friend in high school. He went on radio and he said, don't forget children. A child of a cockroach is a cockroach. A child of a snake is a snake. I'm like, this is a man actually who has a PhD. This is a man who is a father. What happened to him? It was also like another lesson that really I felt like God was teaching me. Um, That's when I realized that the intelligence of the heart, how to deal with what you learn is much more, more important. The attitude you have towards life is so important than just what you learn, the mechanical thing. Because as a person who was teaching people how to kill, he didn't have love in his heart. He didn't have care for other people. So then they gave order to kill everyone. They were reporting people who killed, who were killed in the stadium. They would go around the stadium, and they would throw hundreds of grenades in the stadium to blow up people. And they were giving prices to
3: people. They would bring them there with promise of food and shelter. And Is that correct? Right?
0: Yes. One of my brother died right there in the stadium.
3: And instead they would killed them. They killed them. So during this 91 days... Anywhere from 500,000 to maybe a, a million, million yeah. Tutsis were slaughtered. Yes. And that's what was going on while you were there. Yes. And you were hearing this on the radio. On
0: radio. So then, after they were like, we killed everyone in public places, churches, they destroyed churches. People would run there. And then they started start to go home by home. And that's really what changed me. I think grew me up was now the searching. It didn't take long. I remember the first time they came to search our home. So in every village, they put about three, 400 people going village by home by home to search. And not once. If they didn't find the people, they came back next day to search. They were searching Hutu houses because they knew there were many good people who would be hiding people among the Hutu tribe. Yeah. And they
3: even looked in suitcases to see if there were children.
0: Yes, they did. The first time they came to search the man who was hiding us, he told us they came inside the house. They searched every place you can think of under the beds, in the closets. They went in a, in a ceiling of the house with flashlights. They went on the roof of the house to make sure no one is laying on top. And they even opened suitcases to see if there were no babies hiding. And he told us they came right to the door and touched the handle. We were right behind. It was like, I don't know what what you're doing, how you are praying, but whatever you're doing, keep doing it. They stop right here. And I remember the struggle I went before that. Again, like really put me to another level of growing, you know, as a person in in my faith. Before, when they reached, I remember feeling like there were voices over my shoulders. And this is nothing too strange. These are actually the things I think everyone deal with when you are facing a challenge there's always a voice that tell you, give up, don't give up. Or keep going, do, do, do bad, hit back. No, don't do. Have integrity. You know, just do the right thing. And another yeah. one is like, no, just do what they did. So I feel like I had voices on my shoulders. And one that sounded like me, it always sounded like you, being reasonable, just from on the other side. One was like, open the door, end the torture. Why wait? When they, I saw them through the window coming to search They were dressed in banana leaves. They had all kinds of arms, machetes, grenades, guns. It was so scary. And this was a four-bedroom house. So the only reasonable thing I can think of was that it's over. They found us. And it was so painful to wait for them to find the door. And it's a matter of seconds. It's four bedrooms. Three, four hundred people searching. So I remember when they were coming, I felt to inside... I felt like a thousand needles are going through my body. Like I'm on fire, I'm burning, but I'm not f- fully dying. Why not die now? Wait, instead of waiting for them to catch you, just end it. I can't go through this now. That's what I thought, that bad voice. Something, th- something was like, you can't take this. It's too painful. And the torture opened the door. I'm like, yeah, you're right. And then another voice, however, Again, always there. Something was said. do not open the door. Ask God to help you. Trust him. Trust in God, in the one who is mightier than you. Remember who he is. He is almighty. Do you know what almighty means? It means he can do anything. Do you know what anything means? It means even if they open this door, they might not be able to see you. Remember that. Yes. Daniel in the Den of Lions, yes. they couldn't eat him. It's not what is possible in the human capacity, is what is possible in God's capacity. Trust him. Then I'm like, oh, that is really good. I really felt like life was coming through my body. I can breathe. I can feel my body just by thinking of hope. There's, there's still a chance. When I thought about how impossible, it was like my whole body was freezing. Just like really bad. And then I remember that bit, this bad voice, almost like he can hear the side of the hope, now start to convince me there's no God. Don't you know there's no God. All this is happening, Don't pray. You see, the main discouragement this voice was giving me was don't pray. I think the fight is always over our hope, our prayer, our dreams. Don't dream good, It's over. Don't you see? It's too late. And the nicer voice is like, no, keep looking ahead. Keep looking ahead. Search in your heart. So I have this nicer voice. Now the by one is telling me there's no God. Now I'm like, oh my God, because I don't think there are voices. I think it's just me Try thinking. And then I'm like, but if there's no God, th- then there's no hope. And then I said, what do I do? Then I felt like the nicer voice now told me, before you lose your faith, at least ask God to give you a sign that he can hear you. And if you find that sign, promise him way before the sign happened that you will never lose faith in him again. And you will always run to him instead of doubting him. And I remember promising in my heart, if I get a sign, I promise you, I will never doubt you. I will never listen to that bad voice that doubt me if you are there. I will always seek. And this doesn't mean I will understand everything about God. but At least I will be seeking him. What he thinks, what should I do in him? Who he is, what he does, how we do things. And I remember asking God with every cell of my body. I remember turning to him fully with all my heart. If there is somebody who created me, just please give me one sign. If there is somebody who controlled my breath. If there is somebody who put together the moon, the stars, the sun. Someone who created this earth I am standing on. I am begging you. If you can hear me, I want to ask you for something specific, because I didn't want to be saved and say it was luck. Because that bad voice was almost hanging there like, it's luck if it happened. It's not God who did it. I remember asking God, if you can hear me, I know you can save us many ways. Don't let the killers open the door. And I know I will die one day, so I'm not saying I shouldn't die, because we will all die. I just want to die in peace. Don't let me die like this. So, If you can hear me, don't let them open the door of the bathroom. If I don't, I will throw myself in your hands, and I will always seek who you are. So I fainted after that. I didn't hear anything for five hours. I was like frozen. I thought it was five minutes. And that's when the man opened the door. I jumped. I couldn't look at the other ladies. I don't even know what they were doing. My world was just what was going on inside. And he came. So it's him. It's not the killer's. And then he said, you are, he, he asked us, you are still like that? They left a long time ago, we're still like this. I'm like, what happened? He said, they, they came inside, there were three to 400 people, they were dressed in banana leaves, I have seen them through the window, and they went in every place. That's when he told us, they went under the beds, opened the suitcases, in the ceiling, on the roof, and lastly, they came to the door touched it, and one of the killers looked at him and said, you know what? You are one of us. You cannot hide these bad people. You are a good citizen. You can't hide the enemies of the country. And he turned around, and he left. And walked away. And walked away. So the man that when he said, I don't know what you are praying, without even talking to me, to us, but whatever you are doing, keep doing it. I don't know why they stopped right here. After putting everything else upside down. That was the moment I was like, oh my God, God is real. I will never be alone again. Even when I'm silent, I can talk to him in my heart. You can be tortured and you can be having a conversation with God inside. You can be talking to him and he will hear you. That was a new day to trust God, to believe him now. But I realized also, since I did, almost lost my faith, even if I grew up praying, I mean, I don't remember one day in my family, not one day actually we ever went to sleep without praying together as a whole family. My dad would always say, come, come. We had a cross, a picture of Jesus and Mary on the, on the wall. We all knelt down since I was born. So faith was a part of my life. Even when I say this to my friends who are, we know each other since I was young, they're always telling me, like, you always loved God. We're like, no, 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 not the same way. I loved him. In the bathroom. Not the same way I came to know him. Before it was part of my life. That all you do. I grew up. But this time I was like shaking me up. Hey, I'm really here. So I asked the man to give me the Bible. And I started to read. Because I wanted to know. Why did I almost lost my faith? There's something I'm not getting. Or I didn't know fully. And I need to certify my, my belief in God. And really tell him I believe in you. Nothing can move me. And I remember thinking, the bishop might go astray, the pope can go astray. I will never lose faith in you. A pastor can lose his faith. That's not my business. I will pray for them because you are my God. You are not them. It was separation where I trusted people. Now I need to put trust in, in God fully. So I read, and the threat was not over, but I remember reading so many good things. I will read how to forgive. Oh, forgiveness was almost every part, page of the Bible. And I remember God saying it on, in another line, revenge is mine, not yours. He is a just God. God will correct what is wrong. And you don't want to be corrected because it hurts. And God will not tolerate evil. And only him knows what to do to correct what is wrong. If people don't ask for forgiveness, if people don't think through the wrong they do and change, God will correct them. It might not be pretty. So I felt like God, through the Bible, he was just reminding me, care for you. Forgive. How many times? 70, 70 times. And then I will go through another page. Love your neighbor, your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. No, how can I pray for them? This is bad. But I'm like, but I need you. I need you. You are only one almighty, so I need to listen to you. Even thinking, I remember thinking, when we have friends, we need to be correct to them. That's when a friendship can blossom because we are real to each other. How can I tell God I'm his friend when I don't do what he tells me to do? And he's my God above just being a friend. This is not good. So I remember one time, actually, I closed the Bible. I'm struggling with that anger. But prayer made me feel good. I really felt good. But again, they're coming to search over and over. So it was always like, run to God. And this is funny. Anytime they came to search, I told God, I forgive them. I forgive them. I'm like, Hmm. why am I forgiving when they come? Because I didn't want to be in trouble. (laughs) Or like, maybe when I die. Or maybe I didn't want not to have fully the protection of God because of my anger. So whenever they leave, my anger will come back so one time i remember thinking i need to think seriously about this forgiving thing so i remember picking the rosary my father gave me and i said let me say the rosary so the rosary really is like the summary of the bible It's nothing is is every bead just represent a prayer and to say the whole rosary is coming from the beginning of the angel gabriel coming to tell mary that she's going to conceive until jesus dies until he goes back to heaven it's a whole organized prayer I said, let me say it. And I remember when I said the rosary, one takes like 25 minutes, just like you have to say this prayer here on this bead. I'm like, I feel like I moved from hell to a place of peace. For the first time, I spent 25 minutes in prayer. Then I said, let me do this again. So I end up doing the rosary throughout the day from morning until night. But remember, a part of the rosary is our Lord's Prayer, our common prayer. So I was our Father like almost 200 times a day. And it really gave me peace. I remember any time I reached the part that said, forgive us our trespasses. as we forgive those who trespass against us. I'm like, oh, I can't mean that. I don't want to say that. But if I mean it, it means that I'm condemning myself. Do to me as I do to others. And if I don't mean it, I am lying to my friend. And my friend can see in my heart. He knows what I'm thinking. And if I lie to him, every friendship will go wrong if we lie to each other. What am I going to do? So I had a better idea. I started to skip that part of the prayer. I thought, this is good. I got it. You know, it is so important to be sincere to God. I really feel like in life, we take God almost like some kind of like magic or like idea, or some kind of air that is passing, you just like walk in the room, then you're good, you're done well. God wants us to be sincere. We are created in his image. And he is way better than us. And if we want our friends to be sincere to us, we want to be sincere to God. And he's perfect. And he can feel our feelings. He can read our hearts. He can even feel our inclinations when they are not kind, when we are manipulative. He can feel all that. And we, to deserve his blessing, we need to be, what I would call, have high integrity that really comes from inside. Be truthful, be honest in our actions, but in our thoughts also. And always want to be better. So with that, it was so clear to me. that I need to kind of like relate to God in my way of acting. Then I'm like, He can see everything. He knows I'm lying to him. So let me at least be sincere. Any friend will appreciate honesty more than lies. I'm like, okay, so let me just skip this part. I know God is good with me. And that's when I felt that God was working with me, not changing my heart. Because at least I'm being sincere. Because when you lie, then it's like covering the poison. And then you never go there to dig it out. So I kept praying that way, skipping the part, thinking that God is good with me. Now at least I'm sincere. I'm saying the truth until one day. Uh, I remember I was about to skip the part, our, our Lord is prayer again, forgive us. And I felt as if somebody was kind of like touching me on, you know, touching my shoulders. And something was reminding me, like, hey, I hope you know our Lord is prayer is not man made, it's Jesus Himself gave those words if I were you I wouldn't try to edit his prayer I'm like what am I going to do now I mean because I so much wanted to be sincere and now I'm aware God can see everything I couldn't fake anything I know he's there he's watching my every you know emotion inside I'm like what do you tell God like he didn't know what he was saying that doesn't fit in God I know I just read in the Bible that God knows everything inside out. Uh, Jesus didn't know I would go through this. He's God, and I want him to be God. I want him to remain powerful because I need to count on somebody who is more powerful than me. So I can't take away his power. So if he said, pray this way, he must know what I can go through because he's my maker. He knows me more than I know myself. So instead of telling him it's impossible, let him ask him to help me. So I felt literally like as if Jesus was telling me, you don't need to know how to figure out everything. All you need is to ask me for help, including even changing you. Just ask me to help you. That's all. I don't de- require superpower. Just you you contribution, you participation. And then ask me to help you every step of the way. I will work with the weakest person. And then I'm like, okay. And then I changed the way I was doing things. And then I remember literally going to my knees. I don't remember if I actually went on with my body, but that's what was going on in me. I put my hands up. I went on my knees and I asked Jesus, help me with humility. Help me. Help me to forgive. If you say pray this way, That means you knew what you were saying. My job is to respect you, but in all honesty, I don't know how to forgive someone like that. But again, if you said it, you must know it's possible, even if I don't know. I asked him help me, and I told him, I'm going to put back the prayer as you said it. But when I reach that part, please remember, I don't know how to forgive them. I'm just asking, I'm not lying to you, but I don't know how to forgive. But you teach me. I'm willing this time. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm willing. So I put back the prayer, our Lord's prayer. Anytime I will, I will reach that part, I will remind him, I don't know how, but I'm willing. I keep praying like that, never thinking the time will come. And truly, people, be careful of what you pray for because it can happen. Never thought in my human capacity that can happen. Actually, in tiny way, I thought, well, now that I've done my part, I gave it to him. He will do he can do it, but he won't know how to do it. But I'm willing anyway. One day I remember I was praying the rosary, and I reached a part where we meditate when Jesus is dying on the cross. And I remember just like, forget about the crosses we see in churches. It doesn't even have blood, it's just you know, wood, like he's just posing there. I want to take him like my brother, my father. I went through everything um in the bible reading what happened oh he didn't eat he was hungry all day they beat him in the morning after pilate condemned him and then his weight falling down the cross over his shoulders and bleeding blood all over he must have been swelling dust in his wound and now he have nails in his body hanging on the tree and i remember the morning i thought about him i'm like you know what my suffering is small Yours is really bad. And you are not coming. You're going to die. I'm still in the bathroom. I might survive. But you are going to die. This is really bad. And to make it worse, your mother is standing right there. Oh, what a pain for a mother to watch your son dying on the cross. And what a pain for a son to see his mother. So the more I watched their pain, the more mine was reducing. And I was... Taken by surprise, really by surprise. I knew these words before, but one day it rang differently in my heart. When our Lord said, I'm reading, Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they do. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they do. It wasn't the first part, it was the second. They don't know what they're doing. I felt like Jesus was speaking to me directly people who are trying to kill you, they don't even measure the consequences that will come on them. And you trying to be like them doesn't change anything. It makes matters worse. And let me tell you, you're not stronger than the evil. you How many people do you think you will kill before they kill you? And you adding on the number of madness. It was as if all of a sudden the world was divided in two parts. And I feel like Jesus showed me the side of love and the side of hatred. And on the side of love, they are good people. People are trying to to change, contribute to their community, do good, loving people. And on the side of love, I can almost see people like Mother Teresa, Mandela, the people we know in the history of peace, Gandhi, the saint, Saint Francis, Saint Anthony. On the side of hate, I can see like Hitler, people causing the genocide, turmoil. And sadly, me, that time, was thinking about revenging. And I felt like that's what I was shooting for. And I felt like Jesus was like, where do you want to be? And on the side of love, there are people who have suffered, who have known injustice, who have known hatred and pain. But no matter what happened to them, they just don't look at themselves. They look at the whole picture, at other people. They want to protect others from what have been done to them. That was a difference than the people on the side of hate. What happened to them, they want to inflict it on other people so then they can feel the same they felt. I'm like, no, th- these are not my people. These are my people on the side of love. These are the people I admire, not this. I'm like, how did I end up there? And literally, I felt like physically I'm moving, going to the side of love, and I felt like a huge luggage was lifted from my shoulders. I felt so free. That was the first thing I felt. Freedom. Freedom from hating. Freedom to from wanting to inflict pain on others. Freedom to be to, to think of me. And to think actually in a good way. Not just in causing other people to, to pay for m- my pain. But to, to construct, not to destruct. Dis- you know? It was such a level. I felt like healing in my body. Even just in my body. But before I was like, I will do this. I will do this to them. And then I will stop thinking about that. And I will start again. And I will do this. I'm like, it's like an obsession. The anger I had. I can't even get rid of it. It's still continuously playing in my mind. But when I came to the side of love, it was like, I'm done. Now I have to think about what am I going to do for my life. That's when I felt I can trust God fully. Now that the anger was gone. It was like a veil was unveiled. And I can almost look into my future. I'm like, if I get out, what am I going to do? And I felt options were right there now on my table. Well, you would have to find a job to support yourself. Then I'm like, where am I going to work? I'm dreaming now because I see possibilities. Then something was like, you might work with people who speak English. Because most of the people speak French, your people are killed. And the other tribe, you don't know who you're going to meet, who might be a good person. So you will have to be careful. And most of French people are dead. And we were listening, hearing things like the government of France that time was kind of helping the people killing. So I'm like, I'm not even work with the you know, French speaking. Then I'm like, I don't know English. And a part of me said, well, you can learn English. Then it's almost like I have a conversation inside myself. And then I said, but how? I'm in the bathroom. I don't have a teacher. I can't even talk. Another part of me answered, but you are talking right now. You can learn the same way. You can teach yourself. I am here. I can help you. Literally just speaking from inside. Then I said, fine, I'm going to speak. It was so clear and so funny. Five months later, I work with the United Nations. And my interview was in English. And in that moment, I can see that I would have to work with an international organization. I never worked before. I was in college before. But it was so clear that's what, what was going to happen. So with that, I asked the man who was hiding us to give me a book in English and a dictionary, English-French, so that I can start learning English. Because it was clear what was coming. And I better start now. I didn't want to take a chance. So when I asked him to give me a book in English, he thought I was going crazy. Even the girls in the bathroom, they're like, what's what's wrong with her now? (laughs) But I can't tell them what is going on inside my heart. I started to learn English in the bathroom. When I see students, kids, and saying like, we don't have this. I'm like, you have everything. You are in America, especially here. And in Rwanda too, you really have your will. You can use. I took a book. I don't even remember the the title of the book because that was not my interest. My interest was put together a phrase and learn words in English. So I started to, like, I. And I will go to the dictionary. What I means? Me. And I will go back. A.M. What does this means? And I would read phonetically in a dictionary how this reads, but you couldn't speak out loud. I you? couldn't speak only in my heart. You, I just all the conversation I was having inside. The voice convinced me you are talking. You are just not opening your mouth, but you can still talk from inside. So that's how I started to to talk from inside, and I would read phonetically. You see, like, we can talk from inside. And I read, and I read. I, I mean, one page took me, like, two days because every word I have to read and I have to close my eyes and can't memorize what I mean, this and that. What if I put in my past? I remember in the middle of the dictionary, it is like, how do you put a verb in the past, in the future? I'm like, this is easy. I just have to add I will in the future or I did in the past. I'm like, this is good. So It was so fun. And I felt as if my work was like a prayer, my reading English. It wasn't far away from God. It felt like it was with God. So I learned, and all I wanted, it of course, I couldn't learn English fully, but I was able now to say, my name is, I come from, I went to school here. I lived in this, this district, um, I was in the college, like all the low phrases. So
3: you imagined all the questions they would ask you. Yeah. And you already
0: had the answers, and, and it was amazing. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. And this is the funny part. So now, five months later, I am in interview with, you know, God's providence, how I got there. Interview in the United Nations in Rwanda, you know, one branch the that was there. And they were questioning me in English. And in the middle of the interview, I forgot that I was even learning English. In the middle of the interview, I remember thinking, I have impression like I have been here before. Like every question they're asking me, I, I have memorized it. And I have memorized the answers. And that is only English I knew.
3: <laughs> so that was your hope, hope, that you were able to inspire in yourself through your relationship with God to... Know that someday it was going to be different. And after ninety-one days, tell, tell us about the day that the gentleman opened the door, and you you knew you could go. Yes.
0: So the the day how we came out first, I had I had a dream before we came out. I had a dream about Jesus, and in the dream he was sad, and he was almost like he was on the cross, almost like the same sadness I had. And then he told me, my child, when you come out, you will find out that everyone in your family have been killed, those you left behind. But if you continue to trust me and to love me, I will be there for you and I will do for you more than what your parents could have been able to do for you. So you have nothing to worry about. And I remember in a dream I said, if you take care of me, you are God. I need nobody else. And when I woke up, I'm like, what? I said yes to that? I should not have said yes. Like I should have asked him, like, no, 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 you keep them alive. And actually, I convinced myself it was a dream. But the first day we came out, so the man opened the door. He told us a few days before that he here. There are some soldiers keeping camps and taking people out, you know, receiving survivors.
3: So the leadership was able to, to take over
0: and... In- world is horrible yes we we heard on radio so there was an army of tutsis and hutu who were against the genocide who lived in uganda most of them and they were right now by when the genocide started they announced on their radio also if you continue to kill our brothers and sisters we are coming to rescue the country so every day they were speaking that how many people they heard they are killing. we're coming If you don't stop, we are coming. They called the whole world, please help us. If we don't stop, we are going. So it took them three months. And we remember because we can hear the radio, they said they captured the capital. Oh, it was such a joy for us. Even if we felt like, you know, so much had been gone bad. We never thought we'd have a life again. We thought we are just outcast people. Even if we live, it's better to die than living by that time. Like any Tutsi would ever see the light of the day, it was just too late for, I mean, only by God. When they took over, oh my God, even if you survive, at least you can have a life. So that's how we knew, and they took over, but in our area, still you were scared, and our homes had been destroyed. So they formed some refugee camps around, and then they would ask people if they have anyone who survived to go. So that's how we came out. The very first night I came out, I was in the refugee, that refugee camp, and I had to find out, what happened, what happened, tell me. And some refugees I found, I knew people, and they told me, everyone. I mean, I asked, I was so scared to know, but I wanted to know. I don't want to sleep one more day without knowing or guessing. I'm like, How Anyone knows when my father? Oh, your dad was killed here. I'm like, oh, what about my mom? Oh, she was the first one who was killed. Oh, my gosh. What about my, your, your brother was in a stadium where they killed like 10,000 people? And I'm worried to ask about one brother who was really my best friend. What about the Masin? oh, he's the one they just killed a few days ago. They found him where he was hiding. I remember crying, crying for like five minutes, screaming. I'm like, gosh, how, how is this possible? What, what am I going to do? My grandma was killed, my grandpa, my neighbors, my schoolmates, my best friends. So, even your fellow classmates at the National University, yeah. where you were? Where oh, I were. My, my college, we were really, I mean, I remember in my first year, we were 94 students. We had like two Tutsis in this college. In the second year, we were like 40 some people, and then there's like one Tutsi. We were very few. But in college, we were 2,500 all together. They killed 900 students. So that included Tutsis and Hutus. Because the students were very vocal about saying what was wrong. And the government was so angry at them. They were writing letters like, stop persecuting people. Stop killing people. This is wrong. And they're like, we will punish you. So they went and encircled the college. Everyone who was there during vacation, they burned the whole school. The restaurants where they went to eat killed all of them. So... Yeah, it was terrible. So you went to a refugee camp? Yeah, a refugee camp where I stayed like three weeks, and I met a woman. I mean, we were sleeping outside, really, because I didn't have no homes. People, soldiers were not prepared what, what was there, and there were not too many. We were like 50 people, and we spent there three months, and I mean, three weeks, and there was a woman. I learned so much about this. And it's such, again, like suffering teaches you lessons you never, never forget. So there was a woman in a wheelchair. She's the one who took me to her home. And she came to me and she cried, grabbing me. And she told me, your mom have given me like something like less than a dollar in, to pay her school fees. Like 25 years before, when her mom didn't have money to pay her school fees, my mother gave her, gave the family and she told me, I am not going to leave you here. I will take you to my home. And I remember at that time I was so trusting in God. And I remember telling her, I cannot go if I don't know you. I am not just going to throw myself in the hands of anyone. just so. Because even if we trust in God, that means we have to also, God is a light in our hearts. He doesn't want us to take just like accidents and risk without thinking, you know. So I told her, look. Don't know you. Thank you. I'm so glad my mom was did good, but I'm here. I will stay here. She came back next day. She was like, "You think this is your life, but your life is over here. If you don't come with me," and she was like, "Give me anybody you want, if to make you feel safe." I was like, "Hmm, that's a good, you know, good suggestion." I took ten people I just met in the refugee camp, and I, she took us to her home in the capital city, and that's where. She's, she actually had... She was in a wheelchair. I thought she was covered by dust. In Rwanda, when you were in a wheelchair, you are working on an paved road at least that time. So you were full of dust. I couldn't think it was the person who can save my life again. And that was another time I said, God, what my dad told me, do not judge people. Always open your heart to know who people are before you judge them. And if somebody's bad, take distance. But if not don't put people in boxes at every level we'd, we'd have to do that and she had a home but there's another point that really helped me I felt God was there he is with each one of us when we really want to do good when we want life god help you give you ideas you just heart have, to, have to, to your heart have to be open to suggestions from heaven and just be alert and let God suggest to you so I remember when I was crying and I just find out everything that have happened. And again, my human part or from the bad voice is like, life is over. You think you know God, but life is over for you. Look what happened. And really, obviously, that's what it was. I remember crying for like five minutes. And after that, I felt as if there was a voice in my heart again, a nicer voice, and almost like hugging me. And something was like, don't cry, don't die, don't crush. The journey of your loved ones is over here on earth, but not in heaven. And you know more than anyone, there is heaven and it is eternity. And it's much more beautiful than what is here on earth. And your journey is not over yet. And you don't know how long it's going to be. It might be one more day, one more hour, one year, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. Whatever that is, only God knows. What is in your power is to take every moment as a gift of life and use it to the best you can, as if it's the last.
3: That's wonderful.
0: And I I felt he was telling me what to do. It's up to you how to choose to use your life either to love or to be hateful, to be kind or be mean. But if you choose love, if you choose to be constructive, if you choose all this positive, use your life to do good, I will be with you and you can ask me anything you need. I will give it to you. And I felt he was also telling me, you don't even have to ask for too much because if tomorrow you are still alive, I will be there too. So just ask for what you need today. You think you need. And when I think about it then, I remember all I needed was, Today, I need a meal to eat. So If I went into super dreaming, like I need a house, I need a car, I, I didn't know what I was going to use them for because I needed so much more right there. And I wanted to be simple and to ask, I, I wanted cross to change. Like God wanted me to be simple, really, just tell him like a child who is talking to father. I literally remember making a list. I'm like, I need shoes. I need soap <laughs> and I need cream for my body. Lotion. Because my body is dry. And I need a comb for my hair. A brush for my hair. I would tell God these little things today. And it's so funny how one thing would come. That tomorrow somebody will come like through we'll the refugee and we we'll were be like, Oh, I brought you this t-shirt. I brought you a sweater. I'm like, I wrote that on the on, on the list to, to my God. And then the next day the needs were bigger. I'm like, okay God. So now we have food. Thank you for sending all this. I wish I can have a home. It's really sunny during the day. Just like instead of complaining, let me turn my my needs into requests. It's so easy to say like life is miserable. Look how bad our things are more than what can I do about it? What can I ask? What do you need? More than complaining and blaming. And wanting to do bad. And, and that was so good. So the next day, i was like, I need a room. And I will not take anything for granted. Because sometimes you think, if I need a room, it comes with the bed and, and the bed sheet. <laughs> so i was like, I need a room to sleep in. And I need a bed. And I need a mattress. And I need a blanket. And I need a pillow. And, and I almost laughed when I was telling God. And God, I love to write my thoughts. Would you please give me a notebook? And I would need a pen too. So I would like say you know, things like that. And some, and then the woman came in my life. She took me to her home. So when I was there, I feel like I'm here. And I'm really asking blessings of her family and thanking God for that. Then I'm like, okay, so God, thank you so much. You have given me so much. So now I need a job. I don't know what to do. But you helped me. And again, I feel like God was there. Like, okay, so go look for a job. I will be with you you need to do a resume and really do it good and that job in my last a year or even a month or whatever that is just do what you need to do today don't go into fear i am here i will defend you i will be with you and it was like laugh it was the best time to interaction with god when i depend on him fully because so many times we think like i can do it myself and then things go wrong And we don't ask him much anymore until slowly more. Okay, God, so I'm good. Thank you for everything you have given me. So I need to get married because I think this is the age to be married, right? And I would love to have children. Literally, I would tell him, like, and I would need to have a boy and a girl. So give me two. So I know the joy of having both. And he did. So God is really good. Oh, I wish people can just trust him and i need to remind myself all these things many times because when i feel like all oh, things are good i move into my plans my plans my plans i'm like hey wait talk to him about it and remember it's not just what you're capable of do what is good what do you find to be good in the eyes of god will what you think is good not just for you but for other people and that was a miracle of writing my Facebook. Left to Tell. I, I started to write. And my, my voice and some friends, they would tell me like, you are not a writer. How can you write a book? I'm like, I have got to know God. He is almighty. All I know is one thing. I need to make sure that I am using my life constructively and I not to love people because they are his, his children, whoever I am with. I don't even need to go to dream about far away. Just people I am with, am I helpful to them? Am I caring for them? Am I loving them? Am I living truthfully with them? Am I contributing, you know, to them? And if I love and I'm praying, I can dream what I want, God will give it to me. So I wrote a book without knowing anyone who ever wrote a book. We, it, and I couldn't tell people now because they were discouraging me. And people would say, you don't know, English is not really your language. I'm like, I know, but God have many people who know English. They will help me, he will send them. And um, I'm not kidding. I remember three months, I wrote the book in three months. And for during those three months, the hardest thing was not writing. The hardest thing was to fight the negative voice. You can't do it. You're not from the U.S. Nobody will care about knowing your story. Oh, that is too small. It's so far away. I'm like, but God cares about me the same way these are beautiful children of God in this country. And he brought me here the same way he loves me and the same way he wants us to be a family. So go back devil. Like, don't suggest me this voice. And I wrote three days after I finished writing the book. And during those three months, just to fight that bad voice, I had to fast. I was praying every day. I was going to mass every day. I just wanted my spirit to be in a good place. And I wasn't, visualizing big things. I just wanted to be good to the people I was with. I was writing a book to help people I was working with. I was working again with United Nations. I got married. I moved to the U.S. 1998 and I work with United Nations and uh, so my pe- people in the room Sometimes I will see people crying because they didn't get a promotion they wanted, because maybe a friend doesn't look them good, someone is going through divorce. And I never take anybody's pain lightly. Whatever is for them is pain.
3: It's all relevant.
0: Right? Yes, it is. So I will go to them. I'm like, hey, this happened to me. And really, God was there. So anytime I told somebody what happened, they were like, and you are smiling and you are here. So then what is happening to me is nothing. I'm like, what is it in this story that gives people joy over their problems, that bring them back to life? So I wanted to write for those people, really like 10 people, but I wanted to give the best I can for those 10 people. I wrote my first book, I'm fasting, just God help me to finish, and please God help me, introduce me to a publisher. How do you go about publishing? How do you take a book from computer to, to, to Nobo and three days after I finished writing the book, I met a man who is a writer in a conference. Wendire, Wendire, who became yes. my angel, and he asked me, if he, first he asked me what is like, where do you come from? Because We were online like many people, and I'm like, I'm from uh, Rwanda. And then he goes like, first he asked me, what do your accent come from? I'm like, I don't have an accent, <laughs> but he told me, I told him I'm from Rwanda, and then he was like. Do you know what happened there? I'm like, I know. Where were you? Oh, he was quick and to, to make me talk. I'm like, I was there. And what happened? Where's your parents? Where's your siblings? He knew what have happened. But I told him in two minutes, like, they're in heaven. I- I'm okay. I'm good. I'm here. I, I hid. And then he-, he digged more. He goes like, and then what makes you smile after what happened? I told him, there is heaven. It doesn't end here. I just hope to do my part. And then he looked at me, cause like, have you thought about writing a book? This man helped me to publish the book. Cause he, we, we separated. He went to Maui, and I am in New York, and he helped me through this distance to introduce him to me to the publisher. The book came out two weeks after. The book was New York Times bestseller. I didn't know what that meant. And he
3: wrote the foreword. The in foreword, the yeah. Yes, and I love what he said about you. He said. That you lift an elevated level of spiritual consciousness and you raise the level of all that you encounter. And I have to say that would be my experience.
0: Oh, you're so kind. And you Thank
3: inspire you. so many people with your story. Oh, it's, it's horrific. You. It's inspiring. It's um, amazing. It's, it's so many things. Oh, and so you live in New York. I live now. now in New York with my family, yes. And you have how many children? I have two children. God gave me what
0: I asked for. <laughs> a and boy and a girl. A boy and a girl. <laughs> and their names are? Nikki, my daughter, Nikki Shablak, and her brother, Brian. Yes, and how old are they? Oh, they're big. They're in college now, both of them. Oh, they
3: are? Yeah, so 22 and 20. Funny. So you came from not knowing English and teaching yourself in this three-by-four space with seven other women by mouthing the words. And then you wrote a book, and now you've written seven books. It's an amazing story. It's so inspiring. And I was wanting to know, we have many students who come through our leadership program, and they are in high school, and then we have adult students who listen to our podcasts that we want to inspire to do good things our core principles of leadership are caring communication common vision and character and your story is full of all of those core principles of leadership and it's an amazing amazing story it's unthinkable it's it's just unbelievable and it's so inspiring. And I would like to ask you, what would you say to your 17-year-old self or your 22-year-old self during that time before you went through this horrific situation and a tremendous spiritual and personal transformation?
0: That is a good question. You know, believe it or, n- or not, what, one of the simple and main thing I really could have told myself that time was especially not to undermine the power within me. Not my power, the power within me, I think, from God. Not to undermine my contribution, my words, my wisdom, my... My, my sharing my caring because sometimes young people might say like oh you know i'm young i'm even a kid just like if you see wrong say something if you think you you, you have something to do do and just my contribution sharing my my thoughts my, my ideas i think that could have changed a lot because i saw what god was able to do through me when i was able to act I always felt like there are some people maybe who are supposed to, you know, the leaders are supposed to make decisions to tell us what to do. So the time I was, I need to listen to my instinct inside and be a part of this and save people, even just in a refugee camp or in a bathroom where we're hiding. I felt like I couldn't anymore count just my parents' will or I would tell the pastor, would you please put the radio outside? That alone changed everything around what we're doing. How our life was saved. Or listening to that voice within, like, I need to learn English. So to listen to you, to trust that instinct, and to trust God above all. If I knew what I know now, I would have been reading the Bible more. And my 20-year-old self, 18-year-old self, to to really be grounded in God and apply the principles. So many times I see people, and of course, example of myself, when you're trying to understand what is forgiveness. I can't forgive. I don't think it's possible in my situation. And after you go through mountains and turn back, and you go like, oh, actually, it was the best thing ever. So in, in the first place, if I just believed God, I would have been, let me forgive just because God said so. So obedience to God's law and searching my faith is so important. And to truly, the moment you know there is God, find out why and how. So like, search Him. Seek Him. Like, these are no small matter. This is our future. This is us. We live by the principles of God, but also heaven, our heaven depends on how we act here on earth. So like, to search faith and be serious about it from the time you were a kid, at least if you have to deny, then you could say, I have searched, it's not real, but I have done my homework. So then you can do, you can have an excuse because it's too important. And act, to act, to just be a part of, even if you have to, to lift that stone, if that is a strength you have, just be a part of the of that contribution. So be a part of the solution. The solution. You know, you can have a beautiful car. It's parked. If you don't use it, you will never know what it's capable to do. So I feel like my young self, just act. And don't think, don't try to be, especially to be jealous. It's okay to want to imitate, imitate another person who is doing good, but never be jealous of the other person. Like, oh, I want just to stand in their shoes. You are where you're supposed to be. You are perfect with your strength, with your wisdom, and you grow in wisdom. But with what, what you, are, you are, you are enough. Just do what you can. One of the perfection of God I, I really love and I admire and I love in my prayer when I, I'm conversing with God is to see how you put people in a country, even in a home, everyone will be inspired to do a different job. And each one will contribute to each other. Sometimes you go like, somebody's a constructor. And they really love it. Another person is like, I just love cooking. Another person is like, you know, I was always wanted to do a like trick or stuff. And then they complete each other. Another person dream, I just wanted to teach people spiritually. So we complete each other if we let things, if we let people be free. Yes. If we do what we're supposed to do, what we feel inside, you don't want to be that person. You don't want to to fight to be in their shoes. Just be contribute with who you are. Allow yourself to flourish and be happy and appreciate every moment especially and appreciate people, what is done for you. When my neighbors were killed, the first thing that went, I regretted was, I wish I have taken more time to look in their face, to appreciate them. I missed even them saying hi from far. I was like, oh, my neighbor, who used to say hi, you know, those who used to see me come from school, like, oh, you grew up, because I was in a boarding school since I was in high school. They were just amazed, like, you grew up. And I will visit many of them, but I'm like, I wish I visited them. I never thought they would ever die. They will go away. And especially to be grateful for your parents. Again, when you have parents, you think, like, I was born, they were here. They will always be. But they're really a great gift to have. My brothers who were there to support me, to be with me, you know, I was never bored because we're playing, we're on vacation together. Now you have to look for a friend because you don't have your family there anymore. So family is so important. And people to appreciate and to forgive and not to think of their misery, more, I mean, their sins, their weaknesses. Please see their strength. And be grateful for what they do and they are. You know, one thing again, towards my family, I really regretted. I did regret it. I, it's not like, oh, I wish they didn't die. Of course I wanted, but what can I do? It happened and it, it can happen. But one of my regret was, I wish i have told them more often, especially my mother, how much I loved them. How much I saw what they, they did for me. I took for granted If my brother was here, and what I have done many times after the genocide that really helped me to heal from that, I used to write them letters. I'm like, I really loved you. I never told you enough. It was not easy for me. Dad, all the time you contributed, you, you, you supported our family. I knew, and I just never thought about thanking you, because I grew up, you were doing it. And I thought it was given, but I Really appreciate you for your protection, and I will write to my mom. All oh, the sleepless night, all the worries you have had for us. Everyone who say oh, I have a headache, mom is like, what is it? You know, or, mom, my, my my arm is hurting. Where is it? Oh my God! I mean, to be a mom is like to be a martyr, is <laughs> to be a hero. Like the pain. If my dad was not home, my mom was. We're not going to sleep. She's like, where is he? What if something happened to him? How would we know? You know The food, make sure the food is warm. No, don't don't make noise. My dad is sleeping. I mean, she worried about everybody's clothes. And I remember I used to say, like, I don't think I can be a wife. I don't think I can ever be like my mom. And this is just hard. And this is pain. If my brother went to school, my mom is, is my, my son went to school. Did she get there? I mean, who worries about 20 people when you have to your life to worry about? So, yeah, I remember one time I had a dream <laughs> my, mom, my mom died. And, and in the dream, I saw her, and I was telling her, Mom, I really loved you. Mom, I really know what you have done for the family, all the things you have done, all the pain you have carried for everybody. And she would be like, I knew, I know, I know. I'm like, no, I really did. I'm sorry I didn't tell you. She's like, I knew. And that gave me peace. But, yeah, if I had my mom, I would remind her much more, how much I loved her. And I just wish to tell people, please be grateful to people who are in your life. So I, I feel what you're
3: sharing is to maintain your character and integrity above all things and never give that up. Do all the good you
0: can and never quit completely even when you are sick on a bed in hospital you can hand somebody something or you can smile like never undermine your contribution or think you're too small or too weak what you give as long as you do it with love is perfect
3: thank you amakili we're so honored to have you here today And thank you so much for sharing. I think it's a wonderful leadership story about character and integrity and caring. And tremendous communication and common vision is what so many things that are our principles that we teach are here. And it's just a beautiful story. And thank you so much for sharing with with us today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's always a joy to to see what you do, and what you communicate to people. How you care for the young, Are you care for your community. Such example, good example. And I love to see the museum of General Frank. it's wow, what a life! What, what live, am I? What a life! To, and how inspiring! Like I want my family to come and see, because the trouble we go through, it as long as we keep moving and we keep loving. It will do good even after we are dead. Thank
3: you so much and we love having you here and we'd love to have you anytime. Thank you.
2: Hello this is Jay Zacharias with the General Tommy Franks Leadership Institute and Museum and I would like to tell you about one of our partner sponsors. His name is Justin Krieger and he has worked as an independent insurance agent at Krieger Insurance Agency in his hometown of Hobart, Oklahoma since 1999. Justin is honored to help with the annual Celebration of Freedom event and has been a board member for the General Tommy Frank's Leadership Institute and Museum for many years. He is also a fifth generation farmer and rancher in Kiowa County, where cattle, crops, and even insurance is sold with a handshake. Give him a call at 580-726-3076 or come by the office if you would like to speak with Justin Krieger or Kathy Lankford about insurance. We are thankful to our customers and friends who have supported us through the years. Again, Justin would like to say how honored he is to live in such a great country and how proud he is to help sponsor these podcasts. Please enjoy the rest of this podcast experience from your friends at Krieger Insurance Agency. Thank you again to REI Oklahoma for making this podcast possible. For nearly 40 years, the board, staff, patrons, and supporters of the nonprofit economic development, REI Oklahoma, are committed to expanding Oklahoma's economic prosperity, earning the reputation of being one of the most comprehensive economic development organizations in the country. Business loans, training workshops, business consulting, and networking opportunities, as well as technical assistance and even commercial business space are made available to Oklahoma entrepreneurs and small businesses. For low and moderate income individuals and families, down payment and or closing cost assistance is offered. Learn more at reiok.org. This has been the 4-Star Leadership Podcast. Now it's your turn, 4-Star listeners. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and let us know what you thought of this episode. Be sure to give us a 5-Star rating on Apple Podcasts and tune in next month for our next episode that airs every last Friday each month. Go be great.